Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. This week, reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from December 17th, 1983, taped on December 7th, 1983 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm the great Brian Last. My pleasure to be with you once again. And joining me, of course, as he does each and every week, Mr. New Orleans himself from Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? Doing great, Brian. Another week of Mid-South Wrestling, December 17th, 1983, as you said. We, this is going to be another fun one, because unlike what we experienced in previous months, we continue along with some good stuff happening here. Lots of commentary from Bill Watts. I'm really looking forward to this one, just based on Watts' commentary, the things he brings up. And uh, I've got another little tidbit of research that I actually did, too, that I'm going to bring up later on in the show. We'll talk about that when we get there. But this will be another fun one. Another great one. And you said there's a lot going on as so many things happening on this show. And on the topic of Watts, this may be the episode where he goes more overboard with the Russian stuff than any other episode. <laughs> it's so out of hand here with him and Russia. And of course, it keeps happening for months and months and months. but. It's pretty out of control here, and on that topic, Mike, let's go to the show open. Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts at the desk. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, here on Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. We have such a tremendous card, one of the greatest of all times on television. It takes an expert to tell it about it and explain it. We have that in our commentator, who is also the president of Mid-South Wrestling, Bill Watts. Well, thank you, Boyd. You know, last week, Crusher Darso took the deep step right into Russian dominance. And Junkyard Dog, I think, made a gesture to try to pull him back, to try to wake him up like he did Pez Watley one time in Atlanta. But Darso made a commitment, a commitment that he's going to have to live with. Let's watch what happened last week. Well, there it is, Mike, the show open. And like we said, still the big topic is not just the Russians, as Bill Watts calls them, but specifically Crusher Darso turning his back on the United States and we get a recap of that interview last week, Jim Ross, his finest moment in Mid-South Wrestling so far, because he really was perfect in his role here, and the tone, and what he said, and getting the reaction from the fans. Jim Ross interviewing Crusher Darso, of course, JYD comes out leading to the Russians attacking the Junkyard Dog, any thoughts about all this leading off the show, Mike? Once again, I like the quick replays like this, and I, when at the time period where we didn't have, everybody didn't have a VCR, I sure didn't. You miss a show, they show up an important moment like this, and it's good. You know, I, I don't mind these replays. Nowadays, we watch wrestling, I hate replays. It's crazy. But back then, it made a lot of sense when you didn't have DVRs and VCRs to, you know, quickly reference things that you would have missed, or YouTube, for that matter, and things that you could just look up at an instant, you know, on instant notice. So, good stuff. No, nothing, nothing else from this, but uh, it's a good way to tell the story here of what's what's happening between uh, Darso and JYD, Nikolai, etc. Well, coming out of that, we go to our first match. Crusher Darso versus Coco Ware. Johnny Martinez, the referee. I believe Jim Cornette said that Coco Ware drove Jerry Lawler here, so that's why Coco Ware randomly is on a Mid-South Wrestling TV taping here at the end of 1983. Of course, he would return later in 84 as part of the PYT Express. We're going to play some audio here in a second. But any thoughts on Coco Ware here in Mid-South Wrestling, Mike? It's always interesting to watch these episodes where Coco's in Mid-South. Like, because, you know, I didn't, 
I don't know who he was until I'm seeing him here. And he just looks so young. And I don't know, you can kind of see that there's something there with him. But, you know, it's easy for me to say that knowing what Coco ended up becoming later on. I mean, obviously, my my memories of Coco were, uh, you know, him and Norville Austin in Mid-South when, when they were tagging and whatnot. You know, not to be a spoiler here, but that does happen down the line. But no, Coco, when you watch him, he... He he's selling for for Darso and and Darso's pretty much beating him down. I mean, man, you can see how just the two of them side by side. Coco's a, a short man compared to Darso, but I thought Coco looked good overall. I mean, he, there wasn't. I mean, we've seen our enhancement talents here who haven't always looked too great, Brian. And Coco does not fit that. He looks he looks like he belongs in a wrestling ring. Let's go to some audio from Cowboy Bill Watts talking about. Crusher Darso, while the fans wave their American flags. Now boy, there's Crusher Darso, a Russian puppet against Coco Ware. Of course, he's an awesome puppet. He's not a puppet in size and strength, just in position. Tremendous body slam by Darso. A tremendous, a new viciousness, a, an attack. You can tell he's been under the training and the tutelage of Nikolai Volkov, a man who has got ice water in his veins, who gets up and brags about sending his money home to Russia to buy Russian war bonds so they can put missiles all around the world to protect the peace and keep the peace. Got a lot of nerve being in this country, even talking about missiles. Coco Ware just doesn't have the firepower. Look, oh, goodness, Darso's an awesome beast. Look at him taunting him taunting his man as you see the stone-faced powerful Russian Nikolai Volkov standing inside watching here the crowd they all had American flags here tonight seems like the whole country's coming together about this Russian situation they're waving their American flags the USA USA the Benedict Arnold the traitor Darso I've heard people call him Benedict Arnold a traitor a man without a country Darso like an animal uncaged. Coco where Darso powers him down over those ropes. Got four seconds to break. You can do a lot of damage to the windpipes over those steel cables encased in rubberized plastic. Darso show, he shows no regard for the man. He's admittedly his technique and certainly his feeling for humanity has taken a tremendous change. He crushes the wind out of Coco Ware in that upside down barrel with the shoulders driving in from the reverse side to cut off that air. Crusher Darso with a victory. We have more exciting action coming up after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. And there it is, Mike. We kick it off with Russia, Russia, Russia from Bill Watts as Crusher Darso, like you said earlier, destroys Coco Ware. Any closing thoughts on this match? Of course, Crusher Darso wins with the backbreaker. I had someone on Twitter send me a note about, I can't remember who it was, talking about the, the Russian war bonds, because I think it was a couple of weeks back that geopolitical Bill Watts <laughs> mentioned the, 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 that Volkov was sending money back to buy war bonds. And I, I get a kick when Bill Watts starts talking about that. But, you know, he's, like you said, you nailed it earlier in the opening. He's going to bring up Russia a lot. And I mean, it's a central theme. It's a central angle going on right now in the promotion. So it makes sense. But Bill Watts, he definitely is going to dig in with the Russia stuff, as we've talked about before. And again, I thought Coco looked really good in the match. He 
I mean, he gets dominated, but he hits a nice drop kick in the match. But he looks like he belongs, unlike some of the enhancement talents you'll, you know, we've seen and discussed over the years doing this. Going to our next match, Mike, we get a pretty big match here on TV with Randy Peewee Anderson as the referee, and we'll talk more about him in a minute. Jim the Anvil Neidhart versus Mr. Wrestling 2. Mike, let's go to some audio. We'll talk about it on the other side because there's a few different segments of audio we're going to play from this match, but let's hear the opening thoughts from Cowboy Bill Watts. Mr. Wrestling 2, the ever-popular star from Atlanta, Georgia, in the white trunks and mask against the animal... Our anvil, either one you can call him, Bill Watts, Jim Neidhart. Well, I'll tell you, I think you've coined both phrases that are apropos. Again, two knows the power, so he ducks out from under it. I'm sure Magnum T.A. is closely watching his mentor. Wrestling two, the wily, quick, courageous, explosive veteran of many ring wars, a man who protects his identity and wears it, his unknown identity as a pride. I know one time when I flew my plane into Oklahoma City Airport, it's late at night and he came out of my plane with that mask on. They were just about ready to call the police on us until they saw me and said, Bill, who is that? And I said, he's who you see, that's wrestling too. He keeps that mask on everywhere he goes. Proud man, crusty, outspoken. He's not known as a diplomat. I will say one thing, Lillian Carter, President Jimmy Carter's mother, used to travel to Columbus, Georgia, every Wednesday. And she said the, her favorite wrestler of all the years was wrestling too. And Lillian uh, told that story to a news columnist who printed it. And of course, Jimmy Carter posed with wrestling too in a wrestling pose one time. So when you're talking about a man who has gained the respect all the way up to the White House, so to speak. You're looking at wrestling, too. Well, Mike, there it is. Bill Watts' opening thoughts here on this match, really putting over Mr. Wrestling 2. Crusty Mr. Wrestling 2. What are your thoughts here in the early part of this match? In addition to Crusty, I'm sure I'm not the only one who gets a laugh at that when he mentions 2 had his mask on. And what I was in the plane or the airport, what I was trying to figure out is, you know, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, Watts is, you know, has got one of those little small planes where you can see the the, the pilot or, or, you know, the co-pilot or you could see the people in the plane, you know, as it's landing. I'm like, okay, so did the security see two with the mask on as the plane was landing, or did they see two just coming through the airport with the with the mask on? And it is, and was that what Watts was trying to? Which one was Watts trying to communicate there? Because I, I just. <laughs> I just have this image of this little Cessna plane, this little plane where you can see, you know, maybe you can't see Watts in it for whatever reason. All you see is a man <laughs> with a mask on in the plane. You're like, what, what the hell is going on here, pal? Anyway, I just I just got a real big chuckle out of Watts telling that story about them flying in late and they see this man in, in the plane with a mask on uh, like he's like he's, you know, stealing the plane or something. <laughs> uh, I, I got a chuckle out of that. And well, you know, I mean, Watts talks about a. Uh, uh, President Jimmy Carter's wife is the biggest two fan. Uh, no, learn something no. new every day. His mother, mother. I'm sorry, mother, mother. My apologies, mother. I got that wrong. Uh, you learn something new every day. I don't remember this from when I was a kid that uh, Jimmy Carter's mother it was a wrestling two fan. So that's very interesting. Not that I believe it, but there are no. There are several photos around. It, it is. It is true. 
Oh. She was a major wrestling fan and a big fan of Mr. Wrestling 2. So that is a true story. And it seems like 90% of Bill Watts' stories are either about Russia or airports. Yeah. It's always some kind of like, I was on a plane. I was in the airport. Wrestling 2 was in an airport with his mask. <laughs> well, speaking of Wrestling 2, of course, his opponent here is Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And you look at them and Neidhart looks young. He looks like a beast in there. Some people at home may be thinking, how could Mr. Wrestling 2 stand up against a guy like this? Well, we're going to hear Bill Watts explain how Mr. Wrestling 2 has a chance against Jim Neidhart right after he puts over Jim Neidhart and his many accolades. Jim the Anvil Neidhart, one half of the Mid-South Tag Team Championship. Number one in the world at 18 years of age in the shot put. Fifth in the world in 1978. Threw a 100-pound blacksmith's anvil, 22 feet 5 inches at the Calgary Stampede to become the world's champion of that event. Played football at UCLA for the Oakland Riders, for the Dallas Cowboys. A devastating individual. A man that just is a human battering ram. But he's against a man that knows every form of leverage. And so you see, even though Anvil Neidhart's certainly bigger in weight and more powerful, he's against somebody that has that tendon strength, that has that knowledge. And if you have the knowledge and can turn the leverage, wrestling is a sport of finesse. It's a human chess. It takes the conditioning. It takes the power. But you can't read the book by the cover. It's two men getting out there and pitting their skills against each other. Well, there it is, Mike. Bill Watts putting over Jim Neidhart and explaining how Mr. Wrestling 2 could beat a Jim Neidhart because of his tendon strength and his experience. Yeah, I heard that part from Watts, and I've got some things to say about how they end up finishing this match. I, and these are things I question now, later in life, not back then. I've got some thoughts just overall about how they how this thing ended up in the end and how the, how the whole match finished. But I mean, look, Watts is good at describing things, and he's good at explaining how a guy like two can put up a fight against Anvil and potentially win. But I also want to say we've seen the Jim the Anvil Neidhart just, like, eat people alive in the ring as he's been in here now for a few months. I mean, he is just a powerful human being that everything he does looks believable. So I've got some additional thoughts on that as we, you know, once we work towards the finish of the, of the match. Well, let's work our way towards the finish of this match. We're going to hear some audio of Bill Watts talking about Magnum TA. Of course, he ties into everything with Mr. Wrestling 2, and he would tie into the finish in a moment. But I want to say in advance of this, I want to encourage everyone to watch this at home. There is a ref bump here I've never seen before, and I forgot all about this until I rewatched it, where Randy Anderson, they do a very clever bump, but then Jim Neidhart just flips him over in the most dangerous looking way well anyway i'm sure we'll talk about this in a moment let's go to the audio of bill watts leading into the finish and then of course the finish of this match magnum ta who's told wrestling too said my quest is to beat hacksaw butch reed right here on tv if i can do that where he's humiliated me twice on national tv i will feel like every dollar i've spent for you being my coach has brought its just reward that I really have attained that. But two says you're going to be even greater than that. And if wrestling two believes that strongly in Magnum TA, he certainly sees into that man's heart. The junkyard dog made a gesture trying to save Crusher Darso from that brink of devastation. But Darso rejected it and is now committed. He is a comrade. 
flag carrying Lackey. Two hits him. Two popped him with a knee. Two's got him with a knee. Two going for the coup de gras. Two going for the coup de gras, but Neidhart picked the referee. Gee, that referee could be, he could be devastated out there. Neidhart hooked up the referee and just threw him into two, and two popped the referee with a knee, and it just wiped the referee to the referee's back. Neidhart is powering two. Neidhart powering two. Two's got behind him. Two's got Neidhart. Two's got him pinned. Nobody but to no count. Referee. No referee. Two's looking for the referee. Here comes Butch Reed. Butch Reed's attacked wrestling two. Butch Reed has attacked wrestling two. One man, the living legend, against the complete Mid-South tag team. They're going to they're unmask wrestling two right here on TV. They're unmasking wrestling two. They're unmasking him. Here comes Magnum T.A. He won't see his coach humiliated here on TV as the Magnum fires away. But Neidhart gets him from behind. That's still two men against one as they've got him separated and down. Magnum knee lift. Magnum has been learning the knee lift apparently. Belly to belly suplex. Reed going for the elbow. Magnum's out of the way. Drop kick. Magnum's after him. Magnum's after him. Two. Two has just decapitated Neidhart. One. There's a victory for wrestling going. Listen to this crowd, boy Pierce. Listen to this crowd of two, 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 two is the cry. But Magnum TA saved the day. And that is student with him, Magnum TA, the winner, wrestling two. We'll be back with tag team action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Well, there's a lot to go over there, Mike. I brought it up before we went to that audio. The Randy Anderson bump slash toss Butch Neidhart. Let me get your thoughts on everything we just used. It sounded like you had a lot to say, actually, about the finish of this match before. So what did you think about all this? For the finish, I'm just going to put it on record. I thought, again, this is 2021, you know, 2022, Mike, in my knowledge of wrestling at this point. I thought it was a mistake to have Neidhart lose, for one. Two, if two loses, there's no skin off his back. He, you know, Anvil comes in, Reed comes in, they cheat, you know. Uh, and then, you know, you can get your comeuppance at the end with with Magnum comes out and he chases off Anvil and Reed and, you know, there's there's nothing lost. Anvil's newer to the territory. I thought it, I thought he should have won the match against two. That was what, a, what I meant by I'm not sure how I felt about the finish. Now, you know, eight-year-old me, I didn't give a damn. I was just watching this and it was very entertained. So that goes to show you sometimes it's just when you're a little bit more naive to things, it's probably better for you related to wrestling, old school wrestling, or even, you know, modern day wrestling. Because sometimes I think we pick things apart too much. And that's probably what I'm doing here. Now, you talked about how how that finish and sequence started or right before it started where two hits Anvil with the knee lift. So to visualize this, everyone, two catches Anvil with the big knee and then... Referee Pee Wee Anderson is kind of standing, checking on Neidhart. And Neidhart gets up. And two, as Neidhart is getting up, is loading up the second knee. Not loading the knee, but he's getting ready to give the second knee. And Neidhart picks up Pee Wee Anderson like you would pick up, I guess, your wife as you're walking her, you know, through the doorway for the first time after you got married. I don't know. That's the best way I could describe it. Would you agree that's how he was picked up Pee Wee Anderson? 
I don't know. I mean, Pee Wee's probably smaller than his wife. Picked I him mean, up. <laughs> picked him up like I don't know, like a bag of groceries. Just swooped him up. Just swooped him right up. He got need, and then he just tossed him up, well, and his legs hit the ropes. He could have got right over the ropes if they weren't careful there. So to what Brian's saying is right. So he picks him up, but he's not walking with him. He's just standing there. And then two comes up with the knee, and two knees. He's trying to go for Anvil, but he knees Pee Wee Anderson. And then Anvil flips Pee Wee over. Feet go over his head. He does a complete flip. His legs actually hit the, the top rope as he's flipping over. And then Pee Wee, so Pee Wee Anderson looks, he looks, it would look pretty vicious. He then falls through the bottom rope onto the floor. And that's when the further shenanigans ensued, as we like to say on this show, or as I like to say, where then Anvil is in the ring with two and two goes behind him and, and two rolls him over and he's got him pinned, but there's no ref. And then that's when Reed comes out and they try to take two's mask off his head. Eventually Magnum comes out and he's going to you know, bring some justice to the situation because now it's two on two. Which eventually then, and Magnum is, does a bunch of stuff, and he event, Magnum actually hits a terrible dropkick on the butchery where his butchery is like below the belt. But we'll let that slide. Long story short, two ends up delivering the knee to Neidhart, and the ref rolls in for the three count as Magnum on the outside holds off Butch Reed with a chair. It was, it was a good little sequence. I'm not trying to down that. I just thought like, man... Why didn't Neidhart win? But again, eight-year-old me didn't care. Forget about that. (laughs) What does a guy have to do to get DQ'd around here? He picked up the referee. The referee got knee lifted and he threw the referee over his head. And then the referee eventually crawls back in the ring and counts the pin. What? Well, yeah. I I mean, like the old thing, like I say, Brian, everything was airtight, brother. No, it wasn't. I mean, he picked up a referee. Referee got knee lifted and hit and flipped over. By Neidhart, as he blocked that knee unless, So you're right. Unless the idea is that Randy Anderson, because he wasn't expected to be picked up, when it happened, he had no idea who did it or what was going on because it was so quick. And then he got knee lifted, which knocked him out, and then he got thrown. <laughs> he just, he tossed Randy Anderson. It was like New Jack tossing Vic Grimes. He no, just, he just tossed him right over his head. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Vic Grimes' ass, but it was, it's kind of funny when you see it. And I didn't remember it until I saw it. It's funny when you see it, man, because you're not, you're just not expecting it. And he just, he picks it happens so quick because Pee Wee Anderson's just standing checking on him and he's standing over him. They're both kind of bent over. He just scoops him up as two's coming to her. He's like, whoops. <laughs> and he just flies over. And yeah, I mean, he really wasn't close to throwing him over the top rope, but it's still a wicked kind of flip when you're a referee. And I know Pee Wee Anderson was expected it, but he just it just it definitely is something you don't see every day. But to your point. Why was there not a DQ? Well, Pee Wee Anderson didn't know if he got flipped or accidentally hit. Which one was it? All he knows is that Anvil picked him up. Uh, Interesting stuff there. Bill Watts does always say, Brian, as we say this, he always says, you know, the referees, they they have leeway to make a decision. You know, they they have that ability to look at a situation and decide whether or not they're going to call for a DQ or let something continue. So Bill Watts has set that precedent before. Uh, with his referees. He said it a bunch of times over the years. 
And I'll give them credit. They keep Randy Anderson off the rest of the show. Everything else is Johnny Martinez and Rick Ferreira. So that is good because he shouldn't be able to referee again after that bump. And I guess maybe he was so concussed that he didn't realize he should have DQ'd Jim Neidhart. And I'll give you credit, Mike, for covering up for Magnum TA's waist-high dropkick before. You said you'll let that slide, but I won't. I'll mention it here. Of course, Mr. Wrestling 2 wins with the knee lift. We then go to our next match. Can I say something, Brian, about that? I'm sorry. Yes. I hate to interrupt you. He, I just watched it again. He might have hit. (laughs) It may have been in the knee. (laughs) We're going to be fair here. Literally, it might have been in the knees. So I said waste. I was incorrect. (sighs) Yeah, maybe take that one out of the repertoire. The belly to belly look good. The knee lift. Watts was going crazy. And then all of a sudden, a drop kick to the foot. But anyway, our next match, Randy Barber and George Weingroff versus the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette, Rick Ferreira, the referee. Of course, the Midnight Express have a manager who makes their introduction. Let's go now to the ring intros, Jim Ross, and then Jim Cornette. This is tag team action on Mid-South Wrestling in the blue corner. At 223 pounds from Las Vegas, Nevada, Randy Barber. His partner at 237 pounds from Indianapolis, George Weingroff. Just come here, Jim Ross. Now let's get to something that somebody cares about. As I've said before, I want some silence to respect me as the most successful and the most intelligent manager of professional wrestling. You know how when there's a thunderstorm brewing up and all those dark clouds are rolling in and the wind's whipping up and you know something's going to happen, but you don't know how bad it's going to be. All over the Mid-South for the past couple of weeks, there's been the same kind of sense, the same kind of feeling. You knew something was going to happen. And these are the men who can show you how bad they can be. Lover boy, Dennis and beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express. Well, there it is, Mike. Jim Cornette delivering another intro for the Midnight Express. Seems like he's a lot more confident than he was the last couple weeks. Really in a good groove here. The Express starting to get over. They're getting a lot of heat with him on the mic here. Jim Ross's hairstyle. You know, if I didn't know what he looked like today, I would swear he was wearing a wig. Because why else would you wear your hair like that? Well, it is 1983, and Corny's hair to me is somewhat similar. They both kind of got, I used to call that the helmet look, but I don't know if that's the correct way to describe it. I mean, they're both of their heads of hair are really thick, and man, they, they, they both kind of have a helmet look to me. No, that's just my observation. Do you agree or disagree? I think Jim Ross has it to a whole different level because he has so much hair. There's no part. With Jim Cornette, there's a part. With Jim Ross, there's just hair coming all the way down to his brow. And then his hair on the sides, where is it parted from? Covering their ears, too, which is odd. <laughs> you see, I'm converting you to my side here. The wig watchers of America. <laughs> it's amazing the stuff we pick up on we watch this stuff all these years later uh yeah i mean yeah corny's part on the left side as we watch it is definitely more pronounced jr doesn't have much of a part at all it kind of does blend in i see what you're saying 
but they both have that helmet look. Oh God, that I can't. I don't know how else to describe it. It literally looks like a helmet, almost just plastered to their head. But you know, hairstyles are so much different nowadays. That was the thing back in '83. You know, I guess that's I all we can know. say. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in Norman, Oklahoma, that was the thing. But uh, <laughs> let's hear some audio from Cowboy Bill Watts on this new tag team that has come in and devastated and taken over so far. The Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. I'll tell you, I've been impressed by them. I hate to say it, but they are not quick. They're sudden, and they're well-oiled. You know, the last time we had a team like that anywhere close to them was the Freebirds, the fabulous Freebirds. You know how devastating they were. George Weingroff shows his skills out there. Randy Barber coming in. Oh, but Dennis Condry. Dennis Condry's got a lot of experience, and Bobby Eaton just looks like he is just mean. He's got that cold steel. He's got that something about his eyes that just tell you that he's double tough. And Jimmy Cornette, and boy, I understand Jimmy Cornette has said that the next time the Midnight Express appear on Mid-South, that he not only wants to introduce them, but he's going to come sit right here at this desk and tell everybody about him on the commentary. He doesn't think that you and I have really been adequate in our praise and our uh, magnification of these men. So I guess uh, everybody in Mid-South will be graced with Jimmy Cornette sitting here as the uh, guest analyst. Certainly, I think he should. I'm interested to see what praises he can heap on him. He seems like he's never lost for words. Well, there it is, Mike Bill Watts talking about the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette and putting them in pretty high regard, I would guess, for heels in the Mid-South wrestling area, comparing them to the Freebirds, who really were the last... Well, I shouldn't say that. The Samoans were a team. And then it really just became two singles wrestlers as tag teams for a few years. And the Midnight Express are the closest thing to the Freebirds, actually, when you think about it. But what are your thoughts on the commentary and, of course, on this match? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big, that's some pretty big praise from Watts comparing them to the Freebirds, saying the last time we saw a team like this here was when the Freebirds were in Mid-South. I don't know if it gets any gets any bigger than that at this point in time if you're going to compare them to somebody. So that's that's some, you know, a lofty statement right there from Watts. I also had a thought when when I heard him talking about, you know, Cornette's going to going to join uh, Boyd on commentary in in the next episode or whenever it is. So for that episode, do we just do we just listen to the audio and then just pause it every now and then and comment cuz I feel like you're just wait you're just we're going to have like 50 sound clips from that week <laughs> to play and discuss with Corny on commentary cuz he he, I just remember in 86 and Crockett, he was on commentary, I think during the summertime and boy, he, he was something else in the greatest way possible when he was on commentary on many of those Saturday night shows. I, you probably remember which ones I'm talking about where he's a, he's in the, uh, the straw chair yeah. oftentimes. I mean, he was tremendous on commentary, uh, given Tony Schiavone the hardest time from what I recall. So that's why I say that, you know, I'm being funny. Obviously, we're not going to do a show like that where we listen to just the audio from the show. But it makes me wonder, because uh, I haven't watched it in a while, what's coming up on that, on that show where we watch Corny on commentary or listen to Corny on commentary for an entire episode. But I thought this was good. Yeah, I'm, the Midnight pretty much dominated. They hit their finisher again, which is that move where, you know, Dennis holds up the opponent and... Uh, Bobby Eaton comes off the middle rope and drops the big elbow across the throat. And then the person just kind of flips over. And I think they hit it on Randy Barber this time. So good stuff. You're, you're building up your, 
you're building up your big tag team here. Nothing, nothing bad to say about it. This is how you do it. Our next match, we have the North American champion, the Junkyard Dog, versus King Carl Fergie, Johnny Martinez, the referee. I should note here, there's no belt. They tell you he's the North American champion. They announce him as the North American champion. There's no championship belt anywhere to be seen. But let's go to the opening audio of this match. Cowboy Bill Watts talking about the Junkyard Dog, and somehow this leads once again into a discussion of Jerry Clower. Let's go to this. And his opponent in the blue corner, the North American heavyweight champion at 292. Oh, Jim Ross had to get out of there. King Carl Fergie's attacking the North American champion. But I'll tell you, you can be king by self-decree, or you can be king because you earned it. And you remember the Junkyard Dog was awarded a crown in Houston, Texas, and all the fans in Houston voted him the king of wrestling. You got another king coming up, another man who earned it, the king of wrestling from Memphis, Tennessee, Jerry Lawler. So Carl Fergie is fighting for a little respect, it looks like. But I'll guarantee you, that's a tough way to try to go out and fight for respect against Junkyard Dog. And I know the dog is it just burned up. He's full of toothache and frustration, just like he has ate a pot of burnt beans, in his own words, at Crusher Darso and the Russian invasion of the United States. And of course, Dog certainly knows what the Russian wants and what Darso wants. They want the North American title. The Russian who had won that title had the title stripped from him in a landmark decision by Mid-South. And the dog won it the night Dusty Rhodes, American Dream, was special referee. And of course, Dusty felt the wrath of the big Russian Nikolai Volkov as he crowned Dusty Rhodes his own kingship with a 100-pound bag of wheat and left the American Dream laying on the floor here. The junkyard dog and King Carl Fergie. The King Jerry Lawler up next. Then Hacksaw Dugan versus Nikolai Volkov, and boy, that should be war. I mentioned Jerry Clower, MCA recording artist from Yazoo City, Mississippi, said he would be here in three weeks. He's going to drop in for a visit on Mid-South. Said he had some things he wanted to say. Well, Mid-South might have a few things they want to say to their old friend Jerry Clower, too, because he's a great wrestling fan. He's a real ambassador of goodwill everywhere he goes. Fine man. We're looking forward to it. Well, there, once again, Mike, we hear a little bit about Jerry Clower, but we also hear from Bill Watts about Junkyard Dog and, of course, the Russians once again. Any thoughts here on the commentary or, of course, this match with one of our two kings on this episode, but also, as Watts pointed out, the JYD was also declared a king. So three kings on this one episode. <laughs> Interesting. Three kings. Always funny to hear Watts bring up Jerry Clower's name. It's become a, a running joke of a bit, I believe, uh, for 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 us here as we review these. I Yeah, I noticed what you said too earlier before you went to the audio. No belt, which is very odd. Uh, another observation, Brian, and you know, I know you haven't watched 1990 WCW in quite some time. Man, I was recently watching some stuff when Dog comes in on Booking the Territory. And oh my God, you think he's out of shape here. And then you see him in 90. And it's all about perspective and how bad he looks then. Um, don't get me wrong. We've talked about it. You can still see the weight gain here in 83, but whew, boy, does something happen to him later on and years down the line. I mean, he just keeps adding on. It's uh, it's incredible in the worst way possible. Uh, my only other note was, um, you know, dog is going to hit uh, Fergie with a big lariat. I think we're going to go to that in a minute, but uh, yeah, dog is going to pick up the win. 
And uh, that's all I had. What did you have? Well, I have a little more audio here because you brought up the way the junkyard dog looks here and compared him to 1990 where he was out of shape. And by that point, he didn't have any hair on his head anymore. He had a, I guess it was a crew cut. I, I don't know what else. It wasn't a shave. It wasn't a bald head. He had some hair. It was just stubble. But the junkyard dog was in worse shape in 1990. Let's hear what Bill Watts has to say. We talked about it a few months ago. The junkyard dog's weight gain, how it was addressed on the show. He doesn't look like he did in 1982, but he does look a little better here than he did a few months ago. Let's hear what Bill Watts has to say. Listen to the crowd shout. JYD is Carl Fergie front face locks him. And that front face lock is a devastating hold against anybody that doesn't have a steel neck of some 21 or 22 inches and can bench press 500 pounds. And that's the problem with JYD when he bows that neck. It's just like pure steel. JY's pulled off another five or six pounds. He says he's going back down to 270. He said he beefed up to go against the massive heavyweights like the one-man gang and like Kamala. And he said it cost him a little in endurance and in speed. And he says he's really figured it out that you've got to keep the speed and endurance. He's going back to his old self, solid steel. Oh, he is just awesome. When he, he, he is punishing those farms he throws. You can hear this crowd there behind him. Once again, Mike, Bill Watts bringing up the JYD's weight, putting him over here for being in better shape. But what do you think coming out of that and the comments you had before we went to that audio? Yeah, he... He slightly looks better than what he did, but he's still obviously not 1982 dog beginning of the year specifically that we're, we're talking about. And you're right by 90. It's, it's a train wreck. I mean, I, it saddens me actually when I watch that stuff, how he looks, he's just, it's bad. Go watch 92. If you want to be sad about it, go watch 92 WCW JYD. Yeah. I mean, it gets worse. That's, <laughs> it, never, it never gets better. The junkyard dog wins with the thump. And coming out of that match, we get another match with another king, Jerry the King Lawler versus Larry Higgins, Rick Ferreira the referee. We're going to play some audio here in a moment, Bill Watts talking about Jerry the King Lawler. But I have to say, Mike, knowing that Jerry Jarrett's at this taping also, and knowing that Hacksaw Higgins, Larry Higgins, is one of the wrestlers they picked to come to Memphis, which is a curious choice. I wonder if Lawler working with him here made Jerry think that there was something they could do with him in Memphis. A big guy that looks like that. To be honest, this may be the best we've ever seen Larry Higgins on Mid-South TV in this match at Lawler. He wasn't doing moonsaults or anything, but that wasn't what wrestling was. But he was really good in this match because of Jerry Lawler. But let's play some audio. I'd like to get your thoughts about that on the other side. But here's Cowboy Bill Watts on The King. Exciting for me to see King Lawler right here on Mid-South Wrestling. I'm sure it's an exciting treat for you fans that have heard of him for years. He's the man that Andy Kaufman challenged, a professional wrestler, the man you know who had been beating up women on the late night or Saturday Night Live show and bragging about it and really thought he was something because he could whip a bunch of ladies. And so then he came and challenged a pro wrestler and ended up in the hospital because Jerry Lawler piledrived him. And, of course, Higgins would like nothing better than to get a piece of Jerry Lawler. King Jerry Lawler. The man who's dominated wrestling in, in Memphis, Tennessee, Louisville, Kentucky, all those great wrestling arenas. So we're here with a good friend of mine tonight, a man that I really respect, Jerry Jarrett. Jerry Jarrett is a sly fox of the Tennessee area. 
Jerry Jarrett's a big fan of Dick the Bruiser. Of course, Jerry Lawler is also an artist, not only a recording artist in his own right, but he's also an artist in drawing. But he's a definite artist out there. He's a great athlete, and Big Higgins, as much bigger as he is, he has just seen why Jerry Lawler's king. He is sudden, he's experienced, and Higgins really, really got leveled. He got surprised. I think he looked at Lawler to be more of a brawler type and to come at him with that brawling move, and Lawler hit him with a drop kick. And that's what makes the great ones. They keep you off balance. Oh, beautiful, beautiful hip toss. Beautiful move. High hips into him, and now he's caught. Look at Lawler. He's caught the big man and just body slammed him right here. And the crowd loves it. It's King Jerry Lawler is welcome to Mid-South Wrestling, and Higgins has just found out why he's called King. Higgins went out of the ring under the power of Jerry Lawler earlier, but this time he can't out on his own, Bill, in self-defense. Well, let me tell you, if you were 300 pounds and 6'5", and went in there and got manhandled like you got manhandled, I'd want to get out, too, and try to look back in and make sure there was just one guy in there whipping me. Well, there you hear it, Mike. Bill Watts putting over Jerry the King Lawler. Loves that he beat up Andy Kaufman. And then we have the match here with Larry Higgins. What are your thoughts? Higgins did look good in this. Now, keep in mind, it's probably less than three minutes of a match. But they show off Higgins' size and power at the very beginning. Like, he does the thing where they lock up and he pushes Jerry Lawler off and Lawler sells the hell out of it. It looks great. And then they do it again. And Lawler, I believe drop kicks Higgins in the back and what looked good from that was Higgins had no hesitancy. He flew out the ring through the ropes, took a good little bump on the outside, uh, fell down again because he was so stunned. And then when he gets back in, he takes a couple of hip tosses. He feeds to Lawler great. I mean, he remarkably better than he's looked, especially that first couple of times when, when we told the one man gang story uh, years ago on this show. But Higgins, I mean, there was nothing he did there that would alarm you to believe, man, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, even a backdrop. That's a big guy to get over on a backdrop. And he got over really good and went with it. So to the point you made before we play the audio, I think you're right, man. I mean, I people would say, what, what were they thinking, you know, wanting Higgins? Well, you watch him in a ring with Jerry Lawler, and he doesn't look bad. Like, it's not horrendous, and he's a big guy, and he seemed a little mobile. So it all made sense. As, you know, as, as you talk about, why would Jerry Jarrett want this guy? It all made sense if you watched this match. Again, the match is only three minutes, though. That's the perspective you have to keep. I mean, there's a lot of people that can look good for three minutes. Uh, keep that in mind. But he, he looked good. He looked good to the point you made, Brian. And he never showed this much personality before. He's on the floor. He's ducking out. He's talking he's interacting with the fans like he's really into this match it's almost like they told him you should try out you know be good but let's hear a little <laughs> more audio from this match we'll talk about it on the other side bill watts mentioning an upcoming tournament mid-south got an exciting announcement coming up grizzly smith told me that charlie lay and he were talking and that everybody the world over and every place that they talk about wrestling on television that the best wrestling in the world is right here in mid-south and they said, why don't we have a Mid-South television champion? And Grizzly and Charlie are talking about a $10,000 tournament, an elimination tournament that will be held each week right here on TV until there is a television champion. And so that may be in the works. And Jerry Lawler 
just showed him why he's the king of wrestling. And came Memphis, to Mid-South and showed us some various moves, tremendous tactics. Jerry Lawler, the winner. We'll be back. Hacksaw Jim Dugan versus Nikolai Volkov following these messages. Well, there it is, Mike. Jerry, the King Lawler, defeats Larry Higgins with the fist drop off the second rope. But the big news there at the end, Bill Watts mentioning the upcoming TV title tournament that Grizzly Smith and Charlie Lay are discussing. Now that they're acknowledging on TV that Bill Watts is the president of Mid-South Sports, what is Charlie Lay's position? That's a good question. The world may never know yeah. <laughs> what, Char- what Charlie what Charlie Lay is doing. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? That, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, every now and then he's still got to call him, but I, that's a good question, Brian. And the TV title tournament that's coming up, of course, to win the TV title medal not an actual belt for the first couple of years of uh, until the UWF, actually. What are your thoughts? I mean, were you excited about the idea of a tournament for a TV title back then? Yeah, because by this point, we had gone away from like the Louisiana and Mississippi titles for so long. And I'm not one that believes that you got to have a million titles, right? But I think, you know, right now you've only got the North American in the tag. And I think there is something to having the TV title. Now, at this point, we had no idea that the TV title was going to be a medallion of sorts. So, or maybe I just spoiled something for folks, but um, I prefer a belt for the TV title. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a good idea. And, and And I say that saying when I talk about the Mississippi and Louisiana titles, I realize why they went away from that. Watts's explanation was perfect, made a lot of sense. You know, they he didn't want it to to be seen as he's growing his promotion. He didn't want it to be seen as, well, you know, you've got a state champion here, you got the state champion here. And for that matter, there were times when the Mississippi title, I think you and I actually had a, a short discussion about this, you know, there the Mississippi title's being defended or or fought for on on television, which is being taped in Shreveport, Louisiana. So yeah. just kind of it kind of did. It didn't make sense from that point of view. So yeah, I like the I like the TV title. I like the 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 actual thought of okay, we're gonna have a a TV champion, and I thought that was really cool. I mean, it was, you know, I, I didn't see that there was no. I didn't I didn't see the TBS show during these years or Georgia Championship Wrestling or whatever. But you know, later on down the line in '85, you know, when I got to see like Arn and and Tully with the with the TV title. And I saw the TV title there. I was like, oh, wow. You know, like I, I still one of my favorite belts of all time. So um, at this point, I didn't know about that. But yeah, I, I thought when Watts announced, oh, we're going to have a TV champion. I thought it was a pretty cool idea to have, you know, because, again, you got your major title, you got your tag titles, but now we got the TV title. Well, we've had a lot of royalty. We've had the Midnight Express. Let's get back to Russia. Our next match, Mike Hacksaw Duggan versus Nikolai Volkov. Johnny Martinez, the referee. We'll go to some audio in a moment. I want to say Duggan seems off here. I don't know if it's just because he got a haircut or what, but he seems slightly off in this match to me. But let's hear some audio of Cowboy Bill Watts discussing Hacksaw Duggan and Nikolai and the Russians. Well, I'm telling you, it's war, boy. I'm just, I haven't been able to catch up with everything. It's just Duggan came in just like Hacksaw Duggan's known to do. He came in ready to fight. He didn't respect Russian National Anthem or anything, which I don't blame him. Everybody in the crowd, while the Russian National Anthem was playing, was waving the United States flags. It was a patriotic sight to see. Dugan, the Russians got him up in that bear hug. A powerful man, a methodical man. The thing about the Russians when you're wrestling, 
if they've got a maneuver, they may wait all night in the match and defense you and just try to stay even with you. And then they'll, when they get their move, they'll move in on it and they do it so well with so much technique that it's just devastating. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't make a lot of offensive moves. They're very sure in what they do. And the things they do, they practice over and over again. They don't have what you call a wide repertoire generally in the heavyweight divisions. But everything they do, they do well. Just like you see him, he comes right in, breaks loose, kicks, stomp, back into the bear hug. Dugan try to force the underhook. If Dugan can force the underhook, he can break under the Russian. The underhook him there might be able to hip toss him. No, Dugan, Dugan is underhooking both sides. Listen to this crowd, USA, 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 and they're waving the American flags. Dugan's got the Russian in the bear hug. The Russian, looked like the Russian hit Dugan to the side of the head or blinded him. I couldn't tell just exactly what off the monitor, Boyd Pierce. The Russian's back to that methodical attack. I think the Russian realizes that this match right here represents a lot more than just winning and losing in a wrestling match. This is almost like two great countries, two great nations where Dugan says he believes that the great thing about America is its freedom of speech, freedom of lifestyle. And he knows that Russia represents a threat to that because there's no freedom of speech, no freedom of lifestyle in Russia. We'll get to some more audio in a moment, but Mike, I want to get your thoughts on this match. I will say right there before we stop the audio, I'd like to know what you think, but Jim Duggan was missing punches left and right. Literally, left and right. <laughs> he missed um four punches completely. I mean, he's he wasn't even getting close in it made me think, like, was he expecting Nikolai to block it? Like, what what was the expectation? And I'm thinking, you know, is it that these guys haven't worked a ton? What's the, I feel, you know, because these are two talented guys in here. I mean, they're really good at what they do. But it was the word I like to use, a little discombobulated at times in the punch, the punch sequence that you referenced right there towards the end of the audio as, as you know, we watched and took notes, something was amiss there because Duggan, he's not just missing. It's like, I mean, you're a baseball guy. It's like the pitch hit the dirt and he's swinging six feet in the air. I, that's the best way I could describe it. it. It was off. There was something, I'm not sure what it was, but he definitely wasn't on his game and I feel like there's got to be a reason, but I don't know what that reason is, but those punches were missing by a lot. Well, let's go back to the match. Here are the match ends and let's hear more about Russia from Cowboy Bill Watts. Dugan fighting away there. It looks like he's trying to set the Russian up and go for the kill. And Dugan just clothesline the Russian. Dugan going for the spear. Oh, the Russian jumped out of the way. The Russian jumped out of the way. Just a, he was... He was looking for that spear. He knows Dugan's famous for it. Dugan getting back up to come in the ring. Oh, the Russian really drove one in. Johnny Martinez backing the Russian off, making a give to... Wait a minute, Bill. There's Darso. Darso's coming behind. The Russian's holding the referee when he gets in. Darso's got Dugan in that reverse barrel, just like he did Dr. Death Williams here two weeks ago. He's crushing the wind out with that shoulder with the deltoids in under the ribcage from behind. And the tremendous power, he squeezed the air right out of Dugan. Now he's handing him, and 
Martinez is looking and Darso's saying, I didn't touch him, I just helped him in. He's lying, they just like the Russian propaganda. The Russians got to get up, there he goes, look at the Russian power, 285 pounds, he snatches him up there, he's choking him with that off hand over there, see him choking him with the left hand. He's got Dugan for the fall, he's got Dugan pinned, but Dugan pulls a little streak tactic. Dugan pulled a little alley style, New York style tactic, and he scratched the Russians' eyes. A little something they don't teach you in the Russian Training Institute for Wrestling in Moscow. Referee called for disqualification. Dugan's going after a chair. Dugan's going, he's still attacking Boyd Pierce. Dugan's going to attack. He's just like the Marine Corps. He knows no quit. He's going after it. Whoa. Dugan's outgunned. He's got both of them in there. They're going to have to get him some help because the Russians are beating him. The Russians are stopping him. The Russians are grinding him. Here I'm calling Darso a Russian, but that's what he is. Here comes the dog, here comes T.A., here comes two, here comes Papo. The Americans are getting together. The Americans are getting together. The Americans were coming, but the Russians are gone, Bill. They took off. So we'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South. Well, there it is, Mike, the big angle here at the end of this match. But the story to me is Bill Watts just screaming nonstop about Russia. And again, it's just so ridiculous. He's never been this over the top. Just everything he's talking about, it's nonstop. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, he ain't letting, he ain't letting he's not letting the Russian thing go. I, I like this finish. And by the way, New York in a New York alley, I've never scratched someone's eyes. I don't know what New York style fights Bill Watts has been a part of. I don't know. Well, I'm not taking credit <laughs> for that. I'm here in New York. <laughs> Fair point, fair point. I, I don't think that's a New York thing. I think that's a thing anywhere. If you're, you know, really getting it handed to you, you rake somebody's eyes and literally rake their eyes, man. You'll get their attention. Uh, you'll get more than their attention. But I like to finish because Duggan is about to hit the spear on Nikolai, and he goes flying through the ropes, and it's a really good bump. I mean, the way he just flies through, does it really well. And Darso, we didn't really talk about this, Brian. Darso's on the outside, and he's kind of just watching Nikolai, and he's cheering. Well, Nikolai kicks Duggan in the head as Duggan's first trying to get in, so that takes away our referee. I think it was Johnny Martinez. He's he's telling Nikolai, hey, you know, don't do that. Let the guy in, or I'm going to throw you out. Well, Darso, as a good heel would do, takes that opportunity to put Duggan over his head, and basically he has Duggan in his finisher, that overhead I guess backbreaker where he just, you know, holds you and kind of moves up and down. And then he dumps Duggan on the ring apron. Well, as he does that, the referee turns around and Darso gives the signal. Oh, I was just helping him back in the ring. You know, no harm, no foul. I'm just trying to be a nice guy. You know, like the heels used to do, which I used to which hated back then, but love now. I think it's tremendous. And then, you know, Nikolai hits his finisher on Duggan and Duggan he kicks out, but he rakes the eyes. And that's what you were talking about with the, the New York alley of raking somebody's eyes. Uh, and then all hell breaks loose. That's when Darso realizes, wait, this guy's not going to stay down. I better get in here and do something. And Duggan hits two nice spears before he throws the chair in the ring. But the Russians are too much for Duggan as, as things wind down here. And, you know, Bill Watts is going on about Russia at this point. He even says, I caught it. I kind of laughed when he said it. <laughs> He's like, the Russians, he's like, don't show in a Russian, but 
you know what I mean? Or something. I can't <laughs> yeah. remember exactly what he said. He's like, you, you know, I'm calling him a Russian. Uh, eventually they're beating Duggan down and the, the baby faces kind of help and save the day. Magnum and dog come out Two comes out. And then out of nowhere, Lenny Popper <laughs> also comes out. I knew you would hone in on that. <laughs> it was Stay, still, stayed I, away from <laughs> wrestling too, by the way. He stayed away from two for sure. Uh, I'm still laughing at when they were cutting the promo and and their Lanny's. I I don't I never clipped this. I forgot to do it because I've been so busy with work in the shows. But hey, take Poffo, take Poffo here. His family's no good. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but the best part was he throws it out of thin air. Take Poffo here. His family's no good. And Magnum says, what does Magnum say? Magnum's like, well, I don't know about that. And Reeser says, says, me too. And he smirks. So that's why I bring that up. But it's ironic because Lanny's in there so late as he rolled in, which I thought was kind of uh, added to that conflict that we saw back then. Anyway, I like the finish. I thought it was good. You know, neither guy takes the pin. The Russians look powerful, but at the same time, they look like, you know, you know, cheap artists who are just, you know, it takes two to beat down one. I thought this was a good finish for, for television, man. This is this is exactly how you do it. Yeah, aside from Duggan's lackluster punches and some things in the beginning of the match that weren't all that great, the finish I thought was pretty good. Would you agree, Brian? Yeah, I think it was a good finish. I'm, I'm still thinking about the Lanny Poffo promo. <laughs> he should have said, well, Wrestling 2, why didn't you say something before when we were having coffee? Why not, you know, off camera? You know, why did all of a sudden this issue just come up now? Right after he put on his nice clothes. But you know, Bowden knew nothing about it because he said, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a good, uh, we haven't seen Reese or Bowden since, by the way. But this is a good match. Well, good finish to the match. Moments of this match weren't that good. But we get ready for our final match on the show and main event in any arena. Doug Vines and Tom Lentz versus Rick Rude and Lanny Poffo. Rick Ferreira, the referee. Mike, I want to get your thoughts, but let's hear some thoughts from Cowboy Bill Watts first on the previous match, as well as Magnum TA and Mr. Wrestling 2. My boy Pierce, I'm horse. You know, I guess... I'm the biggest fan of all. I, I love wrestling. It's been my life. I love heart. And Jim Dugan has got a lot of heart. He and the Junkyard Dog, Magnum, they got heart. Jim Dugan against two of them, two Russians. And I may as well call Darso a Russian because that's what he is. Because when you sell your soul to him and you're owned by him, you are one. And Dugan found a way to break the Russians' devastating hold. A little bit unorthodox, very Duganish. But Dugan was holding his own with both of them, but that great heart sometimes, that heart and that courage, sometimes will get you in trouble. You know, Jim Dugan just doesn't know quit. He doesn't know back up. That's why he was on the suicide squad in the NFL, because they set him down those kickoffs and kickoff returns, because he didn't care. He'd hit that wedge. He'd hit somebody. Here's a young team. Tom Lentz is a little upset. Lanny Poffo, another youngster who's taken the crustiness of wrestling too. And the accusations too is made and hasn't made any retaliation. Just says, please judge me by myself. And so far, Lanny Poffo has just been terrific. Rick Rude, a youngster, fourth in the nation. I understand in professional arm wrestling in his weight class. This guy from Robbinsdale, Minnesota, he wants it. He's hungry. 
these kids got to see what they have to face. You know one thing about it, when Dog and them were helping Hacksaw Dugan out during the commercial break, the crowd gave Jim Dugan a standing ovation. They were all had their American flags and were chanting USA, USA. They're behind him. They're behind the dog. They're behind these guys. I also understand while I was back in the dressing room, Magnum TA's got a lot to learn about wrestling too. Wrestling too had found out that TA came into that match and saved him, saved the day for him, and he chewed him out about it. He chewed him out about it. He says, listen, he said, I wrestle my own matches. Well, Two's got a lot of pride, a lot of pride, and Magnum TA will just have to get used to him. But it's that pride and attitude that's kept Two a top-notch main eventer, a top competitor all his career in pro wrestling. And of course, I know Two, he feels that this youngster that he's teaching may at some time surpass him. And I think uh, that's a little bit of a nervous feeling, uh, you know. Because Wrestling 2 wants to have his own career and uh, still help Magnum TA. But, uh, you know, I'm sure 2 is a little bit wound up right now because of the situation. And he pulled off a great victory and insurmountable odds. He just had not realized that Magnum had been the one that turned the table and won for him. I think 2 feels he should bail Magnum out of trouble. And it's a little bit uh, blow to his pride that he finds out that his student saved the day for him. One fall of television time remaining. It's been an action-packed Hour. We've got the Iceman King Parsons and Lanny Poffo against Hacksaw Bookery and Jim the Anvil Neidhart next week. Also, Grizzly Smith has just handed us a note that he may try to book Crusher Darso against Hacksaw Dugan. If he'd get that boy, oh, what that a would treat. be something. And there it is. That's. The audio from this match, a match where Lanny Poffo and Rick Rude win when Rick Rude hits a crossbody on Doug Vines. But, Mike, any thoughts on the match? Or a horse Bill Watts, after all that Russian yelling and screaming, talking about TA and two. And Watts actually said some really uh, cool things here. He praises Duggan's no-quit attitude. And Duggan, he mentions Duggan being on the suicide squad in the NFL on kickoffs, which back then... You did have to be a nutcase to want to be on kickoffs and kickoff returns. And what he means by that is, so they, they also would call them wedge busters as well uh, for kickoffs, where it's banned now in the NFL and even in college. You'd have guys who, you got the kickoff, the kickoff returner is about to start kick, uh, re returning the ball back. The guys in front of him would form literally a line where they would kind of link arms, hold hands, where they would basically were forming a wall. and You'd have these suicide squad members. Their job was to bust the the wedge. I mean, they would just just like run full speed, just bam, just obliterate it, and in hopes of eventually either they can make the tackle or somebody behind them could. Okay, they didn't have to deal with the wall. So the suicide squad is, was a real term in football. It's not really used anymore because you they don't they don't allow they don't allow that anymore. They don't allow wedges uh, to be formed on returns. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Watts talking about that when he talks about Duggan's no quit attitude because you you had to be crazy to be you got to be crazy on to be on special teams still in football. But really back then you you were a nutcase. Uh, the rules are a lot better now to help to try to help protect guys. But back then, oh my God! So that lends some credibility. For many football fans, it lends some credibility to to Duggan and how crazy he is. I mean, not that we need it anymore, but we know he's no nonsense guy and he's a brawler and a fighter. 
I love how Watts also mentions Magnum coming in earlier to save two during the match. And Watts says two chewed out Magnum for helping him. You know, two is a crusty old curmudgeon. And it doesn't shock me that he would chew Magnum out for trying to help him out. So I thought that was good. It kind of lends, it, again, it lends the credibility to two being just the old guy. I don't need your help, kid. You know, I can, I can handle this on my own. Yeah, but hold on. This is where Mr. Wrestling 2 is ridiculous. Okay. Magnum T.A. really saved him. What's his argument? I don't need your help. Let me get my ass kicked. Let them destroy me. Who, does, who doesn't want their friend to help out in that situation? You know, that's that old thing like old men back in the day would tell you, though. But you knew you were right, so you just shut up and go, yeah, whatever, old man. And he's crusty. Like, it's been pointed out several times on this episode by Bill Watts that he's either crusty or... I guess it's just crusty. He's crusty. He's a crusty man. He's an old curmudgeon is the best way to describe it. He's just a old crusty old man. And yeah, I, it, it doesn't make sense. You're right, because he's going to get beat. I wasn't saying it made sense. I was saying it made sense that an old man like that would say it because that's what I mean. I've seen it in life. I've seen it with older people like they're, they're They swear on something. And it's like, yeah, OK, old man, whatever you say. I mean, because they're so set in their ways, you're not going to convince them otherwise. And you just let it go and you keep it moving. Well, two, even though he was saved, he's still like, oh, you shouldn't have helped me. You don't do that again, kid. I can handle things on my own. And I can see Magnum just out of respect for his elderly, because that's what it is. Just thinking, yeah. Okay. Elderly. Not you. No, no, no. Respect for his elders. He wasn't elderly yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Expect Respect for his elders. I agree. Okay. They, they, thanks for cleaning that up for him, Brian. <laughs> if he was elderly, it's even worse. Why are you helping me? Because you're elderly, you old fart. <laughs> uh, I forget how old he is here, but he is an old man. <laughs> Any thoughts on this match? Lentz and Vines versus Poffo and Rude. Um, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> I mean, the, the commentary was the big thing. I mean, Rude and Vines, like, I mean, Rude and Poffo, remember you said it, they hit Vines with a double clothesline, and then Rude hits Vines with a, crossbody so they win but i mean there's not really much to talk about here it's it's the end of show match you know <laughs> what can you say well with that we wrap up another episode of the mid-south wrestling television review podcast a few notes here at the end of the show want to remind you you can follow me on twitter at great brian last you can follow the arcadian vanguard podcast network on twitter at supra podcasts or on facebook facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Come give me a listen at tinyurl.com slash bttpod, where you can hear myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner discuss the NWA and WCW from the night from 1990, I almost said 90s, but from in 1990 right now, which is woo, woo, woo. boy, there's some stuff that we just have fun making fun of and other things that we do enjoy. It is a wild time. We've done as far back as 85 and we've come a long way on that show. And there are other shenanigans as well that we discuss, not related to 90 NWA, but we have a good time. It's a lot of fun. We're the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast for a reason. The, the language is strong. The jokes are terrible. But we have fun discussing the absurdity of the promos that you would hear back in the day and how they weren't politically correct and all that good stuff in old school wrestling. 
But listen to us there, tinyurl.com slash btcpod. And, or you can just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from, including this one, and you can find us there as well. Brian, this was fun. Oh, one more thing. Check me out on Twitter, Mike504Saints. Sometimes I try to post clips of the shows when, or clips of some of the promos as I have time and time is available. Like I said earlier in this show, I did forget to to do the one with Reeser saying, me too, with a smirk on his face, uh, as two went after Pafo in that promo, which was really, really funny as you oh, watched you, it. You got to do Randy Anderson getting dumped on his head. <laughs> you got to do that clip. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know if you need audio from that. I could just like create a, a really short GIF or GIF or whatever they call it. <laughs> That's right. People can see what it is because you're right, Brian. It, it was it's something to see. Like when you 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 see it, and you're like, wait, what the hell just happened? So, yeah, we definitely. Who, definitely who gave him that finish and said, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick up Randy Anderson, the referee, and he's going to give him the knee lift. Oh, wow. That's that's really clever. What What do I do with the referee then? Doesn't matter. Just throw him. Just, just get rid of him. Just, what? like, how was he instructed? He just threw him right over his head. Do you think two gave him that finish? I mean, he's the senior guy in there. No, I don't think two gave him that finish. I think the finish came from Watts and whoever was helping Watts that day. I think Ernie was already done. Of course, Lawler and Jared are both there that day. I'll ask Jim Cornette. He would know. But that was a really clever finish. I don't think it was just Mr. Wrestling 2's randomly. It was it was something else the way he flips them over. But yeah, well, I try to clip things like that and put them on social media. Again, Mike504Saints on Twitter. And uh, thanks for the follow if you give me one. And also, uh, thank you for checking out Book in the Territory as well. Until next time, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Mm-hmm.